Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sometimes needing new tires can catch us by surprise. That's why tire power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tirepower.com.au or call 132191. Welcome to Aussies Only, our weekly look at the Australian players on tour. Hello and welcome to Aussies Only. It's your host Jed Zetzer here to bring you another edition of the show, all thanks to Latour Tennis. Now make sure to head over to latourtennis.com to check out their brand new card game. Choose from a variety of match formats to play for fun or put something on the line and go to battle. It's perfect for playing at home, at your tennis club, at tournaments or on the road. Shuffle the deck because it's time to dig. I'm here alongside the former pro Jake Eames. Now Eamesy, I'm going to hand it over to you to introduce our special guest on this week's edition of the show. Yeah, super pumped for our guest today. You'd never meet probably a more passionate guy and someone who just loves being on the tour. One of the OG Latour diggers actually, Callum Pudiger. Welcome, mate. Thank you, guys. Absolute pleasure to be here. I've listened to a few interesting chats you guys have had, and uh, so it's a pleasure to be on board. Great to have you on the show, Callum. Been looking forward to this chat all week, to be honest. Uh, There's a lot of interesting stories around you that we'll definitely uh, get stuck into. So you competed in the UTR Pro Tennis Series event in Brisbane this week. How was it to just be able to get back out on the court and compete? Oh, mate, it was unbelievable. Hey, I, um, I really enjoyed it. And I, th- I think everyone else felt the same or felt similar. You know, I don't think, uh, well, I've never experienced a training block that long in my life. Was it? I think it was almost four months. So, uh, and I could only play so many practice matches against little Dane Sweeney. So I was, was super pumped to be, uh, to be out there. And, um, you know, I think uh, it was a really well-run event under the circumstances, uh, you know, playing uh, consecutive matches on Pat Rafter Arena really felt like a, like the real thing. It was it was awesome. Now, I'm sure it would have been awesome to be out there, especially playing on Pat Rafter Arena, which is one of the most fantastic arenas in the country, really. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to get really stuck into the UTR event later in the show. But just to start with, you were born in South Africa. Do you mind telling us a little bit about your upbringing, how old you were when you made the move to Australia and really how you actually got into tennis. Yeah, so as you said, I was born in South Africa. I was actually, I was born in a small town called, called Umtata. Um, I, uh, my, my older, I've got a brother that's two years older than me. He was actually, uh, he started school there and he was actually the only white boy um, in, the, in the school. So uh, wow. it was a bit of a different upbringing. And then uh, I was very fortunate that my parents immig- immigrated to Australia when I was four years old. You know, just the, the opportunity and everything we have in Australia is, is unbelievable. And um, the environment to grow up in is, is second to none, I feel. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of my family still lives in South Africa. But um, yeah, so moved over here at four. Was lucky enough to move um, pretty much straight to the Sunshine Coast, to a beautiful place called Noosa. 
which I wouldn't call the tennis capital of the country, but uh, so I um, I grew up um, in the roads, skateboarding, um, uh, surfing down at the beach all the time. And then tennis, um, you know, my, my, my parents didn't, my mum played tennis briefly, but um, I wasn't really uh, forced upon me in any way. I just, I kind of boiled it down to when I thought about it, my, my older brother and I were just super competitive and uh, with each other. I played a few couple of team sports, rugby, soccer. But I think, um, I think the fact that I could take my brother on one-on-one appealed to me. And uh, the fact that, you know, it was, it was, it was win or lose at, at, uh, at all my doings. So, um, yeah, I think that, you know, having, having it all on you really appealed to me from a young age. And then uh, fortunate enough to have my brother playing and, and hit with each other growing up from you know, from eight, nine years old onwards. And uh, then was fortunate to have a lot of, uh, have, a, have a pretty good a good squad environment at a at Kiwana Tennis Club on the Sunshine Coast growing up, which really installed that competitive nature and start, you know, start going on some tournament trips when you're younger. And, um, and uh, yeah, the, the passion just, just grew and grew from there. Yeah, it's definitely awesome to have, you know, a great environment when you're young growing up and, the independent mindset and having the responsibility of winning and losing definitely appeals to you know those kids that end up taking to tennis. Um, tell me a little bit, a little bit more about Noosa uh, and the culture there, because it is a little bit of a hippie culture, and uh, that can actually really help you, I guess, on the tour. Because there's a lot of, you know, as a tennis player, it's almost like a nomadic lifestyle, traveling around in hotels and different places every week. Do you feel like that's kind of helped you and ingrained in you? going on to the to pro circuit yeah i guess there's some in, in a weird way some parts have been uh, very beneficial you know uh, all of my friends growing up at school and everything all of them were surfers and a lot of them ended up being musicians as well often if i'll be out in a uh, you know in a social environment and news that people ask me what i play they kind of ask me what instrument i play uh so, <laughs> so when i tell them i play tennis it's it sometimes comes as a shock especially uh if you see me, I probably don't look like a typical tennis player, but um, yeah, so I think uh, I've always been um, pretty into, uh, you know, t- t- uh, traveling light, uh, being on the road, not being uh, tied down to too much of a normal routine. You know, as, as you said, that tour lifestyles uh, probably come pretty naturally. Done a lot of traveling when I was playing money tournaments leading into when I first started playing Crow Tour events. A lot of traveling, sleeping in my van and uh, camping mm. at tennis centers and things like that. And, and really, um, really relishing the process of being able to go to all these different places and, and looking at it with those, those sort of eyes. You know, it's a fortunate life to live in that way, seeing so many different places that I wouldn't have intended to go to if I wasn't uh, traveling for there for tennis and, um, and not, feeling, uh, not feeling a massive, uh, as awesome as home is, not feeling a massive pullback to, to always uh, want to be back home. Don't mind being on the road. Callum, you mentioned you got into tennis playing against your brother. At what age did you realise that you were actually pretty good and may have a chance at going pro? I think like most uh, 10-year-olds, I was probably, um, uh, you get a little bit deluded of how good you think you are and you win about, yeah. maybe one, maybe won a junior tournament or two and, and, and you know, and, and um, get a little plastic trophy. And, and then watching Leighton growing up was just, that was the epitome, um, watching, you know, 
wearing your hat backwards. And uh, I guess for, for at about even 10 years old, I, I kind of thought, oh, you know, this is this is really something I, I, I want to do. And although I haven't, I, I definitely I didn't have a, the most elaborate junior career at all. I was always okay, but uh, but yeah, not, nothing fantastic. But I never really took a loss and thought, oh, I'm quitting. The thought of giving it up never even crossed my mind my, my whole life until maybe once. Reflecting on your junior career, you only played seven ITF junior tournaments. Was there a reason why you didn't play so many international junior tournaments or would you consider yourself a late developer? Definitely a late developer. Um, you know, it was also a case of probably not having... Um, I had an awesome coach in terms of teaching me the fundamentals of tennis, but in terms of um, learning the pathway to becoming professional, that was something that... You know, my, my, as I was talking about my older brother, he, uh, you know, he gave up tennis at about 16. And uh, so I, I wasn't actually really sure of the pathway to get there. I was figuring all out on my own, chatting with other guys that were older. And I didn't, I didn't really even understand the process of acquiring a junior ITF ranking. And I guess my peers and, and, and people around me could more encourage me to, to start when I got to about 15. 16 to start playing Australian money tournaments and play against you know which is probably a good thing in a way play against some um, some older guys some experienced players and um, my parents had no idea they about they just obviously they were I was fortunate enough that they would pay for my um, training pay for my tournament entries and everything but even when I was 10 I'd be sending the entry forms off myself they never knew uh, how to check anything or do, or do that so I was kind of I was kind of winging it and 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 probably um yeah, I just played the, the junior ITF stuff that was in uh, Queensland. In hindsight, um, obviously, it would have been a great experience to travel internationally as a junior and, 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 and acquire an international ranking or a, a better one. But I really enjoyed the way I did it. I think unless you are absolutely crushing it and winning every junior tournament in Australia, and then, uh, you know, I reckon it's a pretty good pathway to to then go on to play, um, you know, some Australian money tournaments as opposed to um, just the, the amount of money it's going to cost to travel internationally, as you'd know, at, for, for, and to start that even earlier than you need to. Not, not probably uh, completely necessary. As the game continues to evolve, most players are actually peaking in their late 20s. Your results have certainly improved recently and you continue to gradually rise up the ranks. You achieved your career high ranking in both singles and doubles this year. Do you believe your best tennis is definitely still ahead of you? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, any any optimist is going to say that, but I, I really, truly, truly believe it. Um, I've always been a hard worker on the court. I had a massive gap for, of not having a coach, and uh, so my ranking kind of um, uh, when I started to play futures and everything, uh, I, I really struggled to move up around the thousand mark. I kind of got stuck there for a long time. Kind of put that down to probably not, uh, not realising how important it was to, um, to actually invest in a private coach because you're always just thinking about the money you have, you've got to spend on, you know, on getting to the next tournament, things like that. And then maturing and learning that uh, I guess this isn't going to last forever and this life is temporary and you only have such a small window really encouraged me in the last, as I've got a bit older, to, to almost put less emphasis on the result. Um, I was always somebody that... Everything means a lot to me, and uh, and I was somebody that would struggle to play my my best tennis um, in the bigger occasions. Probably uh, due to the fact that I wanted it that bad, I'd be, I'd be almost playing not to lose at times. And um, so as you get older and your perspective widens, and 
you know, you learn every match is not the be all and end all of your your whole existence. And uh, so I had a breakthrough uh, about 10 months ago. And um, and I think uh, with maturity and, yeah, just consistent hard work over the years, I, I really definitely do believe my best years are ahead of me. Yeah, that was a good little breakthrough, wasn't it? It was the M25 in Darwin. You went through the final. Uh, that was in September 2019. And then... In January, only a few months later, you got to the third round in the Challenger in Bendigo and played Stevie Johnson, his top 100, and almost pinched the first set off him. What did you feel like was the main cause for that breakthrough couple months there? Because that really got you going, huh? Yeah, that was massive. Look, I won't uh, give it all away because, uh, as you know, MZ, I'm in the in the process of writing a Latour tale, um, yeah, it's which uh, <laughs> which is which is all based around that momentous occasion in a way of um, of going to Europe last year and 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 being and um, very much doing the same thing and 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 achieving the same results. And when I say doing the same thing, I mean working really hard. But, uh, but just not being able to um, kind of kind of break through in the futures tour. And I was fortunate enough to firstly have a guy called Paul Hanley help me out a heap, you know, because I was I just never had the money to, to be able to pay a, a, a coach for what they were. So I was fortunate enough to have Paul um, invest a lot of time into me that he wasn't probably receiving the, the payment he deserved. But, um, yeah, he invested a lot of time into me and that helped. And then the fact of... Um, I actually got to a point where I thought, unfortunately, the writing's on the wall. I'm going to have to stop playing in, in you know, in August last year because I just, uh, I just wasn't getting any any further up, and it was just, it's financially, it was just taking strain. To be completely honest, the most money I've ever had in my account is below four thousand dollars in my life, mm. and because um, yeah. it's always just coming in and out. So that was starting to weigh on me a little bit. So I thought. Uh, as I said earlier, I, I never really lo- was a guy that would lose matches and think about quitting. Um, it would never cross my mind. Just loved it anyway. Um, and then, uh, um, and then I thought, geez, well, I might actually. I mean, maybe it's just it, maybe it's time. And earlier in the year, last year, I'd gone on a really good. Uh, I had a double. I had a breakthrough in doubles and won uh, won three consecutive futures with Brandon Walken. So leading into that Aussie swing September last year, uh, I kind of thought, well. Now, we're on this three-tournament winning streak, which was my first actual uh, Futures title. And then, as I said, went on to win three. So I thought I kind of got, got to um, go play this. Uh, I'd always really enjoyed this Australian Futures swing at the back end of the year, like I know a lot of the guys did. And um, so I thought I got to go on there and give it a crack and, and play doubles with Brandon at least and see how we go. And and we went to Cairns the first tournament and we, and we won doubles. And I, uh, I, I lost first-round singles and I was really... I was uh, pretty disappointed at my singles level, but I thought, oh, well, I'd been, uh, I'd try to stay away from it, from tennis leading up to that, actually. And I'd, I'd actually spent a month working, uh, hiring surfboards out at Noosa Main Beach and trying to figure out what I wanted to do as kind of just a bridging job. And then got naturally got into, got into coaching. It was kind of just super overwhelmingly obvious to me that tennis was my central passion. So I thought um, it just makes sense to, to go into coaching and I really enjoyed it. So I went into this that future swing at the back end of last year with with really no pressure, just literally thinking it's uh, it's one uh, one last time, you know, just you know, just enjoy the swing and play some doubles with Brandon, and um, and then after Cairns uh, we went to Darwin and I um, Brandon actually had to pull out on doubles, pull out of doubles after the draw was made because he was injured. So I was kind of pretty disappointed at that. 
so I thought, well, I'm I'm here anyway, and I uh, and I, I really made a truth to myself that I'll just play uh, the right way, play for fun, because I hadn't put in the appropriate preparation leading up. So I, I was I was thrown in underarm serves. I was I, I wore a, I wore a pair of boardies um, for the entire <laughs> tournament, the same pair of colourful boardies from from I wore it for the doubles final in Cairns, and then and the, and was able to play great tennis under pressure. So I thought, oh, this is cool. You know, looking down at my board shorts reminds me. Um, of, of that being on the beach and being relaxed. So I've, I washed and dried the same pair of bodies every night throughout that Darwin tournament. And one match after the other, I really focused on every time I felt nervous, you know, I'd do something dra- drastic. I'd, I'd hit an underarm serve or I'd, uh, or I'd, you know, just, I'd just kind of chip charge, come to the net, just do different things. And um, was able to re- enjoy uh, my matches more than ever in the big moments. I was doing a, f- a few cartwheels as celebrations. <laughs> Fortunately, I didn't play. I, I didn't play any Aussies till the semi. So it was kind of helped that I played um, some international guys that I wasn't the best of mates with because I, I, I may, I may have come across a little bit disrespectful, although that wasn't the intent at all. Uh, yeah, so I, I cartwheeled my way to a final there, and then, um, and then realised that. Well, heck, that's got to be the, the the secret then, you know. If I was able to uh, just to replicate that and play in that relaxed mentality, but with the appropriate training, then maybe I could play. And um, so that kind of springboarded me to uh, to I finished off the year coaching after that swing, and then um, and then went on to start this year. I uh, put in a good um, off season and and made the decision to to dive deep back into it and, and, and leave it all out there every day. And, um, and then, as you said, I started, I started the year, uh, nicely was being able to continue that trend, um, of playing, uh, in a much more positive way on the court. I'm happy that that Darwin week happened because you, you've been playing some unreal tennis since then. And it seems like it all came together for you that week. So that's, that's great to hear. You played, you know, predominantly most of your career on the ITF Pro Circuit and the Challenger Circuit. Just wondering what your opinion is of the state of the tour at that level, and if you believe there are enough opportunities for players at that level to make a living out of the game. Yeah, obviously, no. There's there's no. It's really tough to make a living at that at the futures level, and to to even to not not even to make money, but just to to make enough money to keep playing. It's it's almost uh, impossible unless you're unless you're unless you're winning the tournaments and therefore probably moving on the challenges anyway. I don't think the prize money's changed in um, 30 years or something. Chatting to some of the older players that were playing it when they were satellite tournaments, so it's pretty tough, especially just considering you know in inflation, considering the expenses nowadays, your your accommodation, your your um, flights and all that. Yeah, it's kind of unsustainable, hence having to dip in and out back to playing um, Australian money tournaments. A lot of the guys do, um, you know, to try and make some cash before. It takes a lot of a lot of planning ahead. Often your tournament schedule is planned around your budget and, uh, you know, where where is going to be cheap to play in tournaments that are close together, not necessarily the ideal tournament schedule in order to uh, achieve results. And uh, so hopefully, you know, there's been a few... Uh, slight promising changes, you know. I, I think this month I'm receiving an ITF grant of a thousand dollars for being inside 700. You know, which I mean, it's 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 still uh, it's not much, but the, there's at least there's a hint at, at some efforts being put in to change. Um, and the Challenger Tour now having a minimum of five nights accommodation free 
is a is a really positive thing. You know, saving more money there. I think they're going backwards in some ways. They've you know reducing the uh, reducing the qualifying draw to only four players. Although they've um, expanded the main draw to forty eight. You know, it's just giving guys less opportunity. So it's really tough tough path. That's why I have just utmost respect for guys that are if you're able to come through that. Um, you know, guys like Chris O'Connell and Mark Polmans, um, it, it just it's just epic because they, uh, you know, it's it, it doesn't come easy and it really takes a lot of um, a lot of self drive to to progress through the the futures and challenges and kind of as you know, the the higher up you get, the probably the easier it gets to um, to manage yourself as a player. Yeah, geez, mate, it's a, it's about time they start making some changes because. Um, the ATP and ITF just got to realise how lucky they are to have so many guys you know, outside the 150 playing because of pure love and passion for the game. It's good to see that there are some positive changes and it just they need to keep doing more and more you know, to continue to support the growth of tennis. For you guys, sometimes obviously you have to look on, uh, I guess, the, the brighter side or the, the, the grass is greener side of, of everything. And uh, I know from one occasion you had to grab your own microwave, mate, at uh, one of the grass court futures. Can you tell us through that story quickly? Yeah, mate. Um, oh, it's been a few good tales, eh? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, this, so this was, um, as you'd know, uh, the most popular meal of choice on the futures tour, especially amongst the Aussies, is tuna and rice. And um, if you're really feeling it and you've had a good week, you're getting some QP as well. Throw on top of there, maybe a bit of rocket, you know, if you, if you win a matches. So um, <laughs> we're at Geelong Future last uh, two years. No, sorry, last year. The beginning of last, about March last year. Um, sorry, not Geelong, Aubrey. Um, at a grass court future. And, you know, usually, testament to most of the tennis clubs, they're pretty, pretty uh accommodating with allowing us to uh you know asking them to warm up rice for us or things like this but um for some reason at the at the, the center i was it was probably you know the fifth or sixth day in a row and they obviously set up a little uh, uh cafeteria there or kitchen selling toasties and all this but i'm not really one to to eat eat a lot of bread before i play either and and, and you know and it adds up you know we eat a lot when you when you're playing that much so I'd come in and I was asking them um, if they could warm up my rice and the lady was kind of uh, a little, probably a little bit annoyed at me asking for the fifth day in a row or whatever and said, nah, sorry, can't, can't do it. Can't warm up your rice. You know, this is, we're trying to make some money here as well. So I, I said, okay, no worries. Fair enough. Went back to the, borrowed Aaron Addison's car, I think. Went back to the uh, apartment, the Airbnb, unplugged the microwave, put it in the car, came back down to the court. <laughs> brought, the Airbnb had an extension cord. Went into the tournament office, got plugged in an extension cord next to Scotty Ray's laptop, led that out the front of the grass, plugged my microwave in on a chair, and warmed up the rice in uh, on the uh, in front of the in front of the centre court where the kitchen ladies could see me. Um, and then, fair to say, I had to pa- I had to pack the microwave every day after that for all the other boys to use. So yeah, it, was, it, was, it was classic. That's what you can do. You can't, you, you know, there's no, no time to sulk about it. It's got to, got to do what you can. That is brilliant. That is one of the great tales from the tour. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so Callum, this week, professional tennis finally returned to Australia and you took part in the UTR Pro Tennis Series event in Brisbane. Do you mind telling us about the week, some of the main differences uh, that you notice to a normal tournament? Yeah, obviously, uh, I assume, especially after what happened with with Djokovic and, and everything in that, that Adria tour, 
in Serbia. Um, you know, there's massive um, push to be just extremely safe, making sure that uh, all COVID-19 protocol is in place and everything. So it was a bit of a different feel in terms of, um, you know, when we, every time we entered the, the premises, um, we had to get our temperature taken and check in and everything. And we were only allowed one guest per player uh, on court. You know, no, no, we're playing, as I said, on Pat Rafter Arena, which is a big stadium court, but no ball kids. So thankfully, uh, John Blom was pretty lenient with time there because we had to, um, we had to, you know, walk to, to get our towel. We had we had a specific spot, towel one, towel two, where we had to place our towel. All the little things like that that made it feel a little bit different, you know, just to just to take uh, maximum precaution, you know, to so more of these events can go ahead, I guess. You'd rather be overcautious than, uh, than do something like Djokovic did. But... Um, yeah, it was a different feel, but it was unbelievable. It was, it was awesome having um, guys, all the top players in Queensland playing against each other. I was I was lucky enough to get in the Tier 1 event, which is so the top seven in one wildcard in the state, and uh, and play matches against, you know, like I said, J.P. Smith, Maverick Baines, played Alex Sinecrack, Tom Fancutt. You know, yeah, J- Jason Kubler won it. So it was, it was a really cool event. There was a live streaming going on. So even though, you know, friends and family couldn't come and watch, my family in Noosa was, was watching on the, on the live stream every day. And then, obviously, to be, to be out there playing for money and not because I've been doing throughout this period, been coaching just to try and coaching around, around my training just to try and save some money for when the, the gates do open again. So it was awesome to be out there actually feeling feeling nerves and, um, and, 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 and feeling like you're in a, a proper match situation again. It was great. And that's the first of three of these tournaments. So I'm um, looking forward to, to more domestic tennis in the meantime. Yeah, it was great to see you guys back in court. And it was awesome to be able to catch a lot of it live. I would have loved to have seen maybe a little bit more of the interviews, you know, pre and post match as well, to give a little bit more build up and, you know, conclusion to each match. It'd be great to see that. What was your thoughts on, I guess, the format, you know, the best of two, the super, and just the UTR system in general? I think it's a pretty amazing ranking-based system. It gives, I guess, a bit of leeway for you guys to, you know, play these round robins where you're getting, you know, four matches. You went two from two that week. How do you think the UTR can fit into, I guess, the world of tennis, mate? Yeah, I reckon it's a, it's a really positive system uh, especially obviously obviously it's huge for uh, all the college recruits in, in all the college coaches in america it's tough sometimes guys um to gauge their level especially when some atp rankings more so national rankings can be inflated and it's tough to gauge what uh somebody's level is if they're you know 30 in in, in egypt compared to you know 30 in austria or something like that so um mm. so it's a really good system to to gauge people's level it's pretty accurate in terms of, uh, it would have been nice if they did play f- uh, full three set matches, but I think um, I even found myself, you forget how taxing a match is. Even though Dane and I have been hitting five or six hours a day and uh, even playing two sets in a super felt pretty tiring playing four matches in a row uh, in consecutive days. So um, I, I, it would be nice if they if they did extend it to a full third set. Uh, but the format of having a, ra- a round-robin format, and, uh, you know, I came out there after not playing a match of, for nearly four months and, and lost the first seven games straight six love to uh, six love one love down against JP so mm. I was fortunate that after taking a, a loss in my first match back that um that it was a round robin event and and my tennis kind of got better as the as the event went on and it was awesome uh, as you say it would be cool if they once the this rules loosen up a little bit I feel like it would be a cool thing to get 
a little bit more excitement around some, you know, some some Queensland players or some Australian players in general. But you know, for the Queensland fans or or whatever, they probably only know, uh, you know, Johnny Millman and and Jason Kribler and JP Smith. So it would be cool to get to a point where some domestic tennis could be potentially uh, televised or you know maybe advertised in a better way. But it was definitely a step forward. Um, you know, having the, the live streaming and everything and um, look forward to uh, to more of these. Yeah, and what about I guess that UTR system for the juniors as well? Because like the rating, for what I understand, is uh, it's an algorithm, and it can be based on like actual performance versus the algorithm's expectations. So if you're playing someone at a higher UTR and you're expected to lose two and two, and you lose four and four, your UTR will go ranking up and the same the other way around so in my mind that kind of stops people chasing points like you know as a junior you used to see kids enter internationals because they've chased they went to nt or tassie and cleaned up weak tournaments and got all these points but it seems like that utr system will actually stop that because it's more of a real uh, ranking based system depending on your performance yeah you're right there's kind of no way to hoax your way up as you, as you say, I think it's based on your last 30 matches and, uh, as you say, score dependent as well. So yeah. even if I'm probably more encouraged for less tanking, not that there's a heap of that that goes on, but for, for it, everything kind of um, means something. Even, as you say, if, you, if you're playing a guy that's a 13 and you're a 12 or whatever and, you, and you're getting a decent score off him, that can help you move up as well. So it's a mm-hmm. case of... Um, yeah, from putting probably a higher importance on match by match and, and potentially then more opportunity for... I've seen a few more of these events pop up and there's one going on today in, at Lifetime Tennis in Brisbane. Um, more opportunity to for clubs to host events um, and maybe therefore less travel needed for, for juniors growing up. You know, as you say, guys, going off to Northern Territory or to Tasmania or whatever to pick up points. I, I know... I know a lot of the juniors emphasise, even chatting to some of the kids I coach that are 12 years old, you know, they emphasise um, their, their points way too much. And it's, it's really hard to explain to them how little it means at that age because you know when you were there, you thought the same. So I think the UTR system is great to kind of to counter that points-chasing uh, mentality or environment. Yeah, I reckon it's cool to see more of it happening. Calum, I was actually saying to Jake, I managed to watch three of your matches this week against... Mav Baines, which you won, Cinecrack, which you won, and then Fancut yesterday, which you went down in a real tight one. And I was saying to Jake, I don't know how you're not inside the top 500. Like, you're you're playing at a level that's, in my opinion, much higher than I've ever seen you play before. Do you train the house down during the COVID break? And do you think you're currently in career best form? Yeah, mate. Well, thank, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. And thanks for watching. Um, yeah, I, uh, I definitely think I'm in career best form. And, uh, you know, when we, when uh, I, was, I was nursing a little bit of a shoulder injury at the start of this, um, when we played those grass court futures, the last two tournaments before we started this training block and uh, fortunate enough to have uh, Dane Sweeney live at the Sunshine Coast where I'm from and then uh, my brother Liam Puttigill. And um, so we made a decision after, after getting my shoulder right, you know, you can go two ways about that break, you know, you can t- take a bit of time off if needed or, or whatever and we, and, um, but we just, we chose to uh, just go head down butt up yeah, we're hitting probably 25 to 30 hours a week and, and you know, doing fitness and uh, and just doing, you know, I was right, cycling and doing a lot of things and 
mate, to me, I've, I've, um, I've wasted enough time in my life uh, not putting in, being, uh, you know, probably when I was younger, not realizing, uh, you know, all those, all those one percenters, not realizing kind of what it takes. And um, so as you, as I've learned more about what, what a really, what, re- what real dedication means and learning from guys like Mark Holmans and things like that. Um, so really made the most of the training block. And then it was nice to see, uh, apart from that start against JP, it was nice to see, you know, some that my level feel like it had lifted Thanks to, um, to uh, my coach Paul Hanley and and Ken Ulrich, but uh, I do feel like my my level is there to climb the rankings uh, um, and get get inside 500 in a pretty in a quick time. Although it's a matter of not kind of getting anxious on it and feeling like okay, I I, I said to myself it's okay if I go out there and I don't play unbelievable in the first few matches um you know it's about it's about over your your, your hard work's going to pay off over, over a six month period or whatever and um so it was awesome another awesome thing about having the the live stream is every night i was watching my matches and i'm taking notes and trying to figure out where i can improve and I, I, sometimes i looked a little bit better than i felt um which is nice to see still got a lot of work to do if i can get my um keep working on my serve and uh keep working on uh on my transition game but um yeah, uh, I'm, I'm feeling confident. Yeah, you briefly touched there as well on your coaching set with, um, with Hanley and Auric. Um And you've mentioned in the past just about how impressed you've been with them and the detail they've actually gone in with you on the coaching court. Can you go into a little bit of more depth there about the things you're working on and, and, and the detail they're going into with you for each session? So Paul Hanley, um, as everyone probably knows, is a great doubles player at the five in the world doubles. He used to get coached by Ken Ulrich. And um, so he, when, when Paul started, first started working with me, he brought Ken in sometimes. Ken's got a really uh, uh, mathematical brain and he's, he really breaks it down technically. So, and then Paul's kind of, um, he's, he's more of a, he coaches in a different way. So they kind of complement each other. Ken can sometimes overcomplicate things and Paul can simplify it pretty well. So, um, so they're a good, they're a good team, but uh, yeah, just trying to obviously break down t- technique. Uh, with, you know how to how to transfer kinetic energy through through forehand and serve massively uh, in order to get the most power out of yourself and be the, and be as efficient as you can. You can get into pretty bad habits when when you don't have a coach, you don't have a, a second pair of eyes um, looking at you, and that that kind of what happened to me over a couple of years. It's a matter of kind of figuring out what are, what your strengths are, um, and then uh, although we didn't get to see Ken and Paul, um, Dane and I didn't get to see them every day throughout this period because they they live in Brisbane and the Gold Coast, and we were we're up on the Sunshine Coast. You know, we'd be sending videos back and forth, and uh, and know what it, Dane and I are knowing what each other are working on, and constantly reiterating that and asking how's this looking, how's that looking, and uh, being really specific in each training session. Sometimes well, what I felt is when I was younger, I would think if I'm hitting up the middle or hitting cross, I'm just working on consistency and that's pretty much it. And, you know, maybe a bit of footwork. And then um, we'll do some sessions where we'll hit two hours up the middle mm-hmm. and, and, and realizing how much you can work on just hitting up the middle. So it's not a matter of any fancy drills or, you know, you watch some of the top guys, you watch just court level practice and, and you see that there's nothing like maybe behind closed doors are doing some more technical stuff but it's nothing really exceptionally fancy I've, I've found it's just like uh, we're doing long working your feet building habits of split stepping staying lower i mean i have little cues like uh 
um, I yelled out to myself yesterday on court, kiss your bicep, mate, because I was pulling off my pulling off my forehand. So trying to skip your head down on the forehand. Um, you know, so so I found massively we've actually kind of been doing less technical drills and more more just hitting with with movement, not just straight up the middle, and um, but just having uh, each day having having one or two things that you're really focusing on and 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 then sort of uh, progressing that. It makes training super fun because it's just there's no limit to, to obviously uh, how good you can get. So it's 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 an amazing journey. Certainly, uh, Callum, your brother Liam plays on the tour as well. He's actually gone down the college pathway. Do you mind giving us a bit of insight into how it is having a brother playing at the professional level as well? And have you actually ever played him in a in a pro event? Yeah, mate. Oh, it's classic. I um, unlike myself, uh, he excelled tremendously in the education system. He graduated school, he graduated high school getting one of the top marks in school um, when he was uh, just turned 16 because he skipped a grade. So he's a little young to go to college then, although he's, he's a really hard worker on and off the court. He did his, he started studying at University of Queensland and then transferred to uh, University of Washington to finish off his degree just for his final semester. That was the end of last year. And now he's going on to taking a scholarship to, to do his master's over there, which is, for many players like him, um, it's just a, it's an awesome pathway to, for him to be able to have structure around him for the next two years and, and, and without paying for it. And because he's not at a level yet where he's, uh, he's able to, to make money from playing, uh, so, so it's kind of a good way for him to, to see how um, to have time to develop as a player and as a person, obviously, at the same time, get a degree. Or another degree, but yeah, and uh, so he's kind of just played a couple of futures in Australia. Um, he had a he had a good win. He well, last year he actually for the first time he got a, he beat somebody that I had lost to. So he was pretty pumped on that. And uh, but, but I always joke to him because I actually played him for the first time maybe eighteen months ago or maybe twelve months ago, and I beat him two and two. Although um, I joke to him, I don't think he's ever going to get more than two and two off me just because. <laughs> No matter how, I hope he gets better than me, but I said, even if he gets better than me, I'm going to still beat him because he's my brother and because I, I joked to him, I said, I built you, mate. I know where you're going. <laughs> so so he's, uh, he's, got, um, he's got some good weapons. He's got a big serve and big forehand and uh, um, really good mover and really hard worker. He's impressed me over the last few months how dedicated he is. Um, so even though he's below, his level's uh, still still behind me, he pushes me on the training court. But yeah, it's it's awesome having a having a brother that plays as well to share that passion and you know to uh, to be um, you know to be to be watching highlights together at night and things like that and to be talking tennis. Um, uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm very lucky. Yeah, mate, it's great to see uh, that you're still keeping that pecking order or that family pecking order in, in line there. Um, back to you yeah. again quickly here. Tricky question, I guess, given the current situation. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you're stoked to be back on court primarily, but what are your goals going forward in your playing career, especially over the next 12 months? Have you set any goals for yourself on court in your development or ranking goals, or you know, what's, what's your kind of mindset there? Prior to um, this uh, COVID-19 breakout, I was, I was looking to um, press inside. So I'm at 660 ATP right now to press inside 500. And the goal was kind of to be able to play a challenger schedule as soon as possible. So uh, I felt like um, getting the opportunity to play some of the challengers in Australia in January 
and uh, get a few wins over guys 300 or so. And, and as you said, play a guy like Steve Johnson that was top 100 or, or is top 100. Um, was very um, confidence boosting to see to see some of those guys up close and and realize that they're not uh, as godly as as you think at times. <clears throat> so goals were um, end of this year. I was hoping to at least be inside 500, uh, if not better. I really believed I could have could have been um, better than that. But at the same time, under the circumstances now, it's a matter of um, making sure that once the tournaments are up and running and going again, that I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to rumble. And, uh, and although it's almost like a year, a year could go by here where you're wasting a year of, uh, of opportunity, not being able to, to play tournaments and grow up the rankings, um, you know, and I'm 26. So it's like you, you, you're racing the clock as well. Uh, I feel like I'm lucky I've got good genes and my dad's in pretty good shape. At, at 55, so I feel like I got it. I do have time on my on my side, and if I can do all the do all the right things off court and keep my body in good shape or get it in better shape, then once tournaments are up and running, yeah, I'd, uh, as I said, I'd hope to uh, to um, press on inside 400 after you know six months of tournaments um, to get uh, kind of out of that um, futures rut and uh, be able to um, be able to be playing under some better conditions. Yeah, and, and, and start to, you know, and, and to be planning planning tournaments um, based around what's the best scheduling for your tennis and to potentially be, you know, bringing a coach on on tour some weeks would be would be unreal. Um, we've got a massive goal to be able to, to, be able to play um, Aussie Open qualies. Um, fortunate enough to be in a country where we host the Grand Slam, so to have wildcard opportunities there. But uh, that, this is obviously all pending when, when we can get up and running again, but just trying to make sure that ticking all the boxes so I'll be ready to go when, when that happens. Certainly. And you touched on the scheduling there and how you were you know, going to look at scheduling your year when the tennis does um, eventually return. We had the chairman of the UTR, Mark Leshley, on the first serve on Monday night. And he mentioned that he thinks the current state of the tour is quite unfair and definitely disadvantages Australian players simply due to there not being tournaments in Australia year-round. And then you look at some other continents and some countries in the world where there's a tournament every week. Do you agree with that With that opinion that Australian players are disadvantaged simply because, you know, there's only, you know, a month block at the beginning of the year uh, at the top level and then a month at ITF and then later in the year it sort of comes back? Yeah, obviously we are fortunate enough to have January going on, but... Uh... Um, outside of that, it's unfair in the way that we're geographically so isolated. So if we're going to go anywhere to play tournaments, even to Asia, we can't go for one tournament. You know, we have to go for a for a block. And then to be a to be a nation that has um, that has a rich uh, tennis history, and then has a and then uh, seem to have um, you know a lot of a lot of money to put into to January and um, to host all these events, it would be. Uh, you'd think that they'd be able to implement more uh, more tournaments at futures and challenges level. Uh, maybe it'd be it'd be nice if um, you know a lot of if they could turn some of these platinums into platinum money tournaments into into futures. I just know it's a, obviously it's just a matter of of, of uh, putting more money into it. But to be uh, to be a Grand Slam nation and to only host um, I think I think eight futures and maybe um, six challenges. If that maybe maybe five, yeah, it would. You know, that's that's only that's only twelve, thirteen weeks out of out of fifty-two. So um, when you look at countries like uh, 
you look at countries like Turkey and Egypt and things like that, um, you know, having having 45 futures a year, uh, that, that'd be a dream. And I feel like... Um, I feel like that would just help create more depth in Australian tennis. We've been fortunate enough to always have kind of somebody at the forefront. Obviously, Kyrgios and Demon are doing exceptionally well. You know, prior to that, we've had, uh, you know, we, we had we had Bernie Tomic up there. We had, uh, and then obviously, Leighton and, and Pat Rafter flying the flag and making, making it to world number one. But the depth just uh, could be better um, if we had... Yeah, if we could host more tournaments at that level and, and have a guys not be so financially restricted by uh, having to go to Europe and having to do these long stints and having to having to tie it in with, with playing club tennis or saving money to, to be able to do a long stint of tournaments. Um, it, would be, it would be awesome if we, could, uh, if we could get to a place where we could have, you know, 25, 30 Pro Tour events in, in Australia one year. And I feel like you would have so many more Australian players between you know, one, 100 to, to 400. Yeah, I think it's as well. It's, it's a tough discussion to have because on one side, we're so lucky in Australia. We have an extremely high standard of living. Everyone's got great, I guess, training conditions and we've got so many opportunities here, but 100% ge- geographically, we are disadvantaged. And I would even say as well, I'd love to get your opinion on this too, is that, even within Australia, the, 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 the professional events, mate, they cost you so much to travel around. Like you're taking to Esperance, you're going to Happy Valley, then you're in Mildura. The, the expenses, because we have such a large country, and don't get me wrong, some of these small country towns are fantastic um, you know, to go to, but, geez, it, it's, it's, a, it's a bang on the wallet, isn't it? Yeah, as you say, even the, the tournaments we have, you know, looking at the schedule of going to, I know so many years going to Alice Springs where we would, you could spend $1,000 on flying there and it just seems so absurd that um, out of all the places to host the tournaments, um, you know, we, we would be going to Alice Springs or to Darwin or to Port Piri or, to, uh, you know, to places like this. So it definitely could be made, made easier to host. I know when I was... I don't know what the system was like, but when I was 10, I was ball-boying at Kiwana Tennis Club and they had a satellite tour of, of um, you know, Kiwana, Caloundra, and then, and then three in Brisbane, um, a couple of, like a North Queensland swing. It seemed much more financially viable to, you know, to go on that swing. As you say, you have a, a swing of tournaments in your home country, but you're, you're spending a ridiculous amount to get to four different tournaments. You're almost like got to do okay to break even, which, which shouldn't be the case. Um, so it is. It's a. It's 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 a catch twenty two because outside of that we have we have the greatest life here and we've got so much opportunity and uh, sometimes I actually think that because our lives are so good here, um, regardless of what we end up doing, it's it's almost to our detriment. Sometimes you have people coming from these third world countries that that's their ticket out. That's their ticket of freedom. If they don't if they don't make it, their life uh, can be a bit of a grind. When I've gone back to South Africa and, and um, chatted to some of the people, some of the gardeners or things that have worked for my family and, and told them that, you know, you can drive a, you can, you can be the garbage collect, collector here and make, you know, X amount of money. And they're just, just looking at me with big eyes. Like, so we do have, because, because our, back, our, our fallback is so good here, it can maybe cause people to be a little less hungry, but... Yeah, it'd be nice, uh, as you say, to have a, a, a better constructed swing of tournaments if uh, the tournaments that we do have to make it cheaper, have mm-hmm. more capital cities hosting. 
Certainly. Okay, and we're going to move on. We've got some fan questions that have come through. The first one here is, hey, Callum, you've played a lot of tennis in Australia. Where is your favourite place to play in Australia? Um, favourite place to play in Australia? I've absolutely loved playing in Cairns over the years. Uh, the Pro Tour event there. Uh, Sawtell. Sawtell, Australia, the money tournament there. It's a little quiet seaside town. Um, that's one of my favourites. Um, I've always uh, slept in my van on the headland there. It's, it's, a, it's an unbelievable little clay court centre. Also Mildura, little, as you say, Emsi, some of these country towns are really nice to play at. Mildura mm. being one of those. It's an awesome grass court centre. So, uh, yeah, those, those three places are up there for me. Parts, mate, the next one is who's the best player you've played in your career so far? On the current ranking when I've played, then probably Steve Johnson in January this year. Yeah, he, he's been 22 in the world, but he was, I think, in the 80s or 90 maybe when I played him. So that was the first time I played in somebody that was top, that was a current top 100 player. And uh, so it was a cool experience. The last fan question uh, is actually a funny one. So we've had a lot of fan questions over the episodes and everyone wants to know, where the worst place to play is on the tour. We've had some very uh, common answers. So interested to know where the worst place you've played on the tour is. Tunisia would have to take the cake for me. Uh, I was Scotty Pajunas, uh, Blade Fong and myself rocked up to Tunisia, capital city, Tunis, um, for some futures. Again, probably at the time, just trying to points chase. We would, we would in Europe, not getting many results and dip down there to, to North Africa. And um, Airbnb is usually pretty reliable. But uh, we got there and um, we'd booked this Airbnb. And, uh, mate, we got there late at night and um, Airbnb was, the fridge was unplugged, leaking, the, the window was broken. Um, the bed uh, was had no sheets and a couple of nice stains on it. And um, so I'd laid my towel down and was sleeping like uh, I was going for a pin dive. And uh, yeah, so that that probably t- took a cake. Um, that was, it was some some pretty some pretty rough conditions there. Uh, and then the court was like a like a sand pit. Um, so that probably takes a cake for the worst place I've played at. Uh, Putz, mate, you're playing some great tennis. You're one of those guys who's just dedicated themselves completely to the game. I know all the boys just love seeing you around. Uh, you've got an extreme amount of passion. And, you know, we spoke earlier about there are some players out there that haven't reaped all the rewards yet from the game but are really upholding, you know, the, the, the structure of tennis and helping have a strong base of players feed through. We hope to see you, mate, into that top 400 and beyond. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, hopefully hopefully, many good things ahead. Yeah, I, I appreciate the chat. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Callum. Yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on and let us into your story a little bit. And we wish you the best of luck for this UTR event series coming up and then when the uh, official tour returns. Sounds good, mate. Thanks, Jed. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Aussies Only. All thanks to Latour Tennis. Once again, you must head over to latourtennis.com to get your hands on their brand new tennis card game before it sells out. Well, another edition of the show in the books. And once again, thank you for tuning in to this edition of Aussies Only. 
You've been listening to Aussies Only, part of the First Serve, your home of tennis. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.